Hello listeners, uh, it's Jenna Brody here and today with me I have two very good friends of mine, Kerry Lee and Junian Lee, um, both of which I've served with in the Navy. Kerry is an ex-PO writer of 16 years and Julian is an ex-Warrant Officer UW of a whopping 30 years. So welcome team. Thank you very much for joining me today and it's so nice to see your faces. I feel like this is the only way that I can speak to you. <laughs> this is the, the only moment. way we talk now. <laughs> yeah, is via podcast Zoom. So um, I don't know, Julian, do you want to go first and just tell the listeners a little bit about your career? Okay. okay then, so yeah, I joined the Navy in 1989 at 16 year old as a junior weapons engineer and mechanic second class uh, and then I was around about 1994 I went on to become an operator mechanic as part of the uh, options for change program which meant basically they got you to do two jobs rather than doing one so they could get more money out of you. I think that's the reason. Um, oh, it didn't act, that, that whole process didn't actually work really that well. The idea was you were supposed to be able to operate sonar radar and stand up and then fix it. But yeah. I can't ever remember a time when that actually happens because it was still people from working in the WE department that did that. So, yeah, I did. But as a WEM, I was on HMS Challenger, which was a dive and support ship, and then HMS Avenger and Illustrious. Transferred to being an OM in 94, and then I stayed on Type 23s all of the rest of my career until I got promoted to warrant officer. And then I was fortunate enough to end up getting drafted to Virginia Beach in America for the last two years. Oh, and, and then I got six months at NCSQ to finish. Nice. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the abridged version. Obviously, yeah. I could go into I could go into more detail, but generally it was so. And during my career, I was um, type twenty three, so followed the normal promotion route from you know OM to leading hands to petty officer uh, as as a PO. I didn't really take my career seriously until I was a PO, uh, and then I started to get better at it basically because I knew what I was doing by the time I'd been in for fifteen years. Uh, <laughs> Good to know. And then, yeah, so really, the, the PO was when I really started to take things seriously. And I was on, uh, as a PO UW, I was on HMS Richmond, where we I was involved in a, a Hurricane Ivan over in, oh, what was it currently called now? should really remember. It must have been really important to them. Anyway, disaster relief operations. Yeah. Uh, then I went on to, um, th- after that, I went on to HMS... Montrose, then I was, um, then I went to the lead, sorry, HMS Sutherland. So I did a Gulf deployment and uh, West Africa deployment on HMS Sutherland. From there, during that time, I did a degree in management. And then after that, I went to the leadership school and then just followed the normal career path from the, uh, went back on another Type 23, got promoted to chief, went on the Iron Duke as a chief, did a West Indies deployment on there. Uh, oh, so so many so many different yeah. things. It's not really flowing that well. Um, well, thirty yeah, years is a long hand, time. It is. I've forgotten so much. Um, as a leading hand, I went to on a global deployment. So there's quite a high point. That was quite good. Oh wow! Visit, visited nineteen countries in six months. Uh, then I went after the Sutherland as a went to leadership school. Iron Duke Chief Somerset. We'll go into that in a bit more detail later because that was more, more stuff went on during that draft. Uh, and I was also at FOST as well. So I did two drafts in the Navy where everyone hates you. 
that was a leadership instructor <laughs> and a, and an instructor at Foss teaching UW. So yeah, that that's an abridged version of my career. Wow. And obviously you mentioned the Somerset there, which is the most important draft because that is where you met your wife, Kerry Lee. Kerry. Yeah. Lucky man, I tell you. Enter stage right, Kerry Lee. <laughs> stage right. <laughs> Kerry, over to you. Cool. So um, I joined the Navy in 2003, originally as mine warfare. But as soon as I got on training, I realised mine warfare wasn't for me. I did try to leave, but they wouldn't let me. So they offered me a branch transfer. Wanted to go Jack Dusty, but there was no spaces, so ended up picking writer. Um, from there, retrained as a writer, um, then joined HMS Cornwall was my first sea draft. Was on there while the guys got kidnapped, so that was an interesting oh. time for us. Mm. Um, then Shoreside again for a few years, then joined Bulwark, which is one of my favourite ships because that's where I met you. Yes. And your beautiful face. Um, <laughs> Lucky thing. <laughs> I know, right? Um, from there, I think it was Norway I went out to, which was the most amazing draft I've ever had. Um, yeah. If I could have afforded to, I'd have left the Navy and stayed out there for the rest of my life. Uh, but luckily for you two, I didn't and I came back. <laughs> um, then joined Somerset, which was um, an interesting draft. Obviously met my lovely husband on there. <laughs> Um, however, it was an absolute nightmare because we were just tapped in FRE. So I don't think I saw anyone for the two years of being on that ship. Came back, worked at Derriford for a little while and then moved to Yeovil, which is where I left. So 16 years total done. Um, put my notice in on the day I got selected for PO and um, haven't looked back since. Well, when you say you were selected for a PO, you were also in a local acting branch. So I feel like you already had a, a flavour for what was to come. I knew what was coming. Get out while you can. <laughs> and you didn't want to do it. That's fair enough. <laughs> so you've both had quite varied careers with lots of, um, you know, really cool and interesting things that you did. So I obviously want to talk about all of those things. And I also want to talk about you guys meeting and obviously Kerry and I meeting. I mean, I don't know um, you guys from your lives before I knew you. So it'd be quite interesting to hear some of those stories and um, see how your careers were then but then also obviously while we've all been such a close-knit friendship group um, Julian not by choice because <laughs> Kerry and I came as a package in fact yeah. I think I remember the first time we met Jules um, in a pub in Keyham in Plymouth I'm sure you probably remember it as well yeah and uh, you were probably the first boyfriend of Kerry's that I actually met and it feels a bit weird to call you a boyfriend um, <laughs> considering you we're all grown-ups now but you were the first boyfriend I met and I don't know if I was nervous to meet you because I uh, had such high expectations of you I don't know how you felt about that um yeah well I suppose I was nervous as well because I knew how close you and Kerry were so I wanted to make a good impression but I didn't want to look make it look like I was trying too much um, I think it went okay. I yeah. was, uh, I appeared to be um, friendly and nice, and, <laughs> and and then managed to managed to win you over, which obviously helped for the future, you know. Yes, it did. Because yes. I think if I if I'd not been okay on that evening in question, then it would have then created problems. It was the same as when meeting Kerry's, you know, family. It was the same way. If if you've got to get on with and like the people 
that you that are associated to your partner through friendship or blood, and I think yeah. that's an important thing. But yeah. also, it's it's a, it's a two way street, isn't it? You, if you don't get on with those people, then there's always going to be problems in the future. Mm. But, but I mean, you you are uh, told us about yeah. You're teaching your students in HMS Rally to hide under their desk in the event oh, of a terrorist attack. I can't believe so, you that. brought this up. And, and, I think, and, I think, and I think that actually won me over because it made me realise, I thought, yes, not only is she a friend of Kerry, but she's also, you know, wise to the uh, possible attacks on naval establishments in the UK. <laughs> With making my own drills up just in case. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was good evening. And as, as Kerry said earlier, you know, you two were on the Somerset together. Um, you were tapped in FRE. I hadn't seen Kerry for so long, you know, let alone meet meet you, her new partner slash boyfriend, soon to be husband. I mean, you weren't engaged at the time, but I don't think it was much long after that that um, that came around. Yeah, how soon was that? It was quite quick, actually, to be fair. Yeah, when you I'm, know, I'm you know. with timelines. I don't know yeah. how long we've even been married, to be fair now. Two years. Um, I know how long we've been married. Yeah, two. Yeah, we got married in 2017, so three Did years. Did you? Oh, three flat. years. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, wow, no- we've lost November a year there. I thought it would be tattooed on Kerry's bum. It's like 25th of November 2017. That's when we've got married. Wow. So yeah, that's three so years. They like to say time flies when you're having fun. They do. That they do. Yeah. Okay, so let's take it back a step back in time to, as Kerry said, when we were on the Mighty Ball Walk and we first met, Kerry Nee. Um, you weren't on for the Far East trip, were you? You joined us when we got back from... No, I joined and you were on some course. Was it a qualifying course or something? Because you weren't actually on board when I initially joined. No. You, I was you came blazing into the mess, really gobby and loud. <laughs> and I was like, who the hell is this? Interrupting my space. And there she is. I <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I've been gone for three weeks, two weeks. So you must have joined in that time. Uh, yeah. And the, in the, in the, I think that's when everyone had moved back on board after refit. Yeah. And <laughs> we had a few beers. Hi, Tilly. <laughs> yeah, sorry about the dog. That's okay. He's <laughs> in one of them moods. Bless her. Yeah, I just got back from leadership, got on a boat transfer out to the ship. You were having a few beers in the mess, and I uh, came in said hi and I think we kind of became best friends from there on didn't we I mean there was it was pretty instant I think um you needed some money I didn't know who you were so I just lent you 20 quid out of nowhere and um (laughs) I think it was me and you sat obviously drinking our only two tins that we were allowed which we made last a very long time made last the whole evening yes we did (laughs) all evening those two cans of beer last (laughs) well they they always used to didn't they so yeah magical beer good at nursing drinks like that yeah definitely so we met and then we went on a deployment to I think it was a bolt ups deployment. It was yeah, bolt ups trip it was. I don't remember a lot of it. Um I think I can safely say I couldn't have gone on another ship with you and probably kept my career how it was. <laughs> um it it was it was an awesome trip. Drank a lot, um doing oops upside your head in random bars, getting the whole of the establishment up joining in with us. Yeah. Getting people to catch you as you're jumping off stages, things like that. It was uh, uh... that was you, not me. <laughs> and still keeping your drink intact after the after the fall. <laughs> no, it was good. Good times, yeah. So we did ball walk. Then I went to. I think I joined the Kent from there, didn't I? 
We yeah, went... I went straight to do the Olympics for a of bit. Of course you did, yeah. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, did that. It's, like, it's, like, it's like she did the 100 metre sprint the way she goes on about the Olympics. Yeah, I, I did the Olympics. I was getting got a medal, everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was a last minute activation. I'd been landed off the bulwark because my sea days were too high. So I got landed and within 48 hours, I'd been stitched up to go and do the security for the Olympics. Um, the training was horrific for that uh, longest training of my life and spent days on buses and then um, ended up in Weymouth to do the sailing part of the Olympics. Yeah. Um, met someone famous, Ben, someone, sails, got some medals, um, stole his medal for a sailing. bit. Well, I was at the time, I think, but um, you know me, memory. It's all in the past. I know. Yeah, I'm terrible with my memory. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> But yeah, I did that. Um, that was good fun. Got told off for going through the x-ray machine instead of putting the bags through. I put myself through that. So that was entertaining. Um, and then from there, I went to London to do the Paralympics. I stayed on, I think it was Ocean that was sat in there at the time. And um, yeah, just did security for that. So it was a good experience. At the time, I probably moaned a lot more than I should have about it. But looking back, it was a good part of history and uh, got some good stories from it. So enjoyed it. Yeah. And you say you met someone famous um, from the sailing team who you don't remember. Is there anyone that you do remember that stands out? No. no. Oh, I did see, um, who did I see? Oh, Kate Middleton. Um, she is so skinny. It's unbelievable. The camera does not show quite how skinny she is. So had skinny envy from her. <laughs> make um, you go on a diet for a week yeah well I pretended to be security on a gate that I wasn't actually security on just so I could stalk her a little bit so that was that was the only other one I remember from seeing that's not weird <laughs> <laughs> not weird at all <laughs> it was boring I was lonely I was away from home <laughs> so when you say you were security so I'm guessing you weren't in where all the action was then were you on the outskirts so you didn't get to yeah see so lot? it was all people and bags searching basically yeah um, before anyone got admitted they came through our team so I was team leader of a load of Matlows in Weymouth it was good because it was all Matlows London it was a lot of army as well so um made it a little bit more interesting should I say but yeah it was good it was good fun good and then from there where did you go was that Norway I think I did go to Norway from there yeah I think it was Norway from doing the Olympics because I went out in the January so yeah I think it it was. I think I'd have just been at Drake in between or something like that. Yeah. And what, what was your job in Norway then? Tell us about that. So I used to do all the HR and travel for the British military people working for NATO out there. So mainly my job, but a few extras that are working with the country. So as people came in, I used to have to get their accommodation sorted, find them a buddy, get their bank accounts set up and basically get them settled, help parents with the schools getting the kids into the school in and genuinely just being there for the spouses of the military people was a big part of my role yeah so did all that and then um had my own house out there which was amazing oh, nice yeah. little three bed house to myself what more could yeah. you want you had two didn't you yeah that's because one of them burnt down <laughs> but <laughs> yes. I was gonna ask I was gonna ask you to talk about that about the the night of the fire yeah, so um, I wasn't going out on a Friday night. I was trying to be strict and not go to the pub. Um, and 
I broke like a soggy Kit Kat, as always. Went up to the bar and got a random phone call saying, your house is on fire. So I was running around the bar trying to find someone who hadn't been drinking that could drive me home to my house. And I think I found a little Dutch man who ended up driving me home. Oh. And they weren't lying. My whole house was on fire. So what, um, what happened? It turned out to be an electrical fault in oh. one of the plugs in the living room. Um, and yeah, the whole house went up in, in flames. Stood outside watching everything, including my passport, burning, uh, which is quite worrying when you're in a foreign country on your own without yeah. any. Obviously, you've got your military friends, but without your friends and your your family. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, lost the whole lot. And that is when I learned the lesson that you should get contents insurance, <laughs> even if you don't own a property. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I didn't. And I had to replace absolutely everything in there. So. Oh, God. So, I mean, yeah, you're so lucky you weren't there, though. Well, yeah, because my other plan was napping on the sofa, so don't know how well that would have gone. No, and we, I, I had, think, actually. Yeah, Julian and I both know how much you, you know, you take your naps very seriously. I do. I'm yeah. all in if I'm napping. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that so. could have been a hell of a lot worse than losing your stuff, so. Yeah, I, I mean, it was horrendous, but the people around there really pulled together for me, so I had people giving me clothes, vodka, place to stay yeah um yeah moved in with a few people for a bit of time then they put me up in a temporary accommodation so I actually had three houses mm. stayed there for a couple of months and then moved into my new house yeah which was opposite my old burned house and did they rebuild the old house or is it yeah so um it was like most of the structure was still all right so they just redid the inside and redecorated um I think the most upsetting thing is over there you get a wine allowance if you work with NATO and I'd worked really hard on my red wine allowance and my collection was good and all the corks had blown out of it so <laughs> so you lost all the wine was, I lost all the wine it was sad times <laughs> oh no is there anything that you saved no pretty well pretty much most of it was gone because even the parts of the house that weren't fire damage the smell you can't describe the smell of a burnt house yeah it is horrific so yeah pretty much everything gone laptops yeah. telly all my gucci stuff that i'd uh spent my money on gone gone of being a gone. Sing single killer living the dream everything you'd bought was gone. ridiculously overpriced and i probably didn't need so yeah <laughs> if you bought it in norway probably yeah yeah <laughs> But during that time you were in Norway, um, I was in the Gulf and you um, kindly came to visit me. Do you remember coming to Dubai? For, was it I a week? do remember coming to, yeah, it was um, an interesting week that we uh, probably completely wasted in other people's eyes a holiday. We did. I had a lovely time. I did as Absolutely well. Time. No, it was brilliant. And I was so glad that you came to see me. So I was on a golf trip. We were in a we're having an operational stand down in Dubai and I worked the first week and then the second week I was on leave and Kerry flew out to see me which was amazing and we stayed in a really nice hotel in Jamira Beach and spent most of the time hungover in bed ordering room service and sleeping. <laughs> we did try to go outside at one point but it was really hot. It was very so. hot. But it was actually Ramadan at the time as well so you couldn't drink anything outside so I mean after about 10 minutes it was it was a bit Unbearable. too much during the day, wasn't it? We did do one day at the at the pool for like We did minutes. two activities. We did Wild Waddy, is it? The outdoor pool place. Oh, and then yeah. we did Sand Juman. We did. Which that you were pathetic amazing. at. I was pathetic. I was scared, yeah. 
I didn't trust but, the driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only only does it as a career, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know, but he just seemed a bit shady to me. So I didn't really trust him with my life, even though he was probably completely safe. <laughs> At the yeah. time, not I, so much. That's what we did, though, for the whole time. Slept, drank in the evenings. We did have room service knock on our door once because they were worried that we hadn't ordered anything that day. That's when we knew we had a problem. Yes, yes, that's when there was an issue. Because it was either the full breakfast platter or chips and Corona. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beer Corona, not the coronavirus, because that, that wasn't a worry for us back then, was it? Wasn't. <laughs> no, there was no coronavirus. But that was good times. And then from there, where did you go? Where did you go from Norway? Norway, I went straight on to Somerset. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, uh, the ship of dreams. The ship of dreams. The ship of dreams. Where you met a strapping young chief. Were you, what were you, the chop sess on there, Jules? Yeah, I was, No, no, yeah. I was going to say, that's where I met Jules. I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Where you met the love of your life, your now husband, Mr. Lee. How, how, I'm how let was you talk your, about that, Julian? How was your first meet? Uh, Where were we? we were, was, I, it was a in a pub, a obviously. Stumping on joining routine. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ask if she'd actually completed her, was it, her NBCD test book? <laughs> <laughs> no, 21 day joining questionnaire. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, it was something really inane and innocuous like that. that that's how we first actually met. Okay, so no, um, we um, gradually became friends over the time period that we were on the ship, um, which then led to more than friends. Um, and we uh, started seeing each other, but because of the nature of... Well, okay, so to get it right, because people, if you have a relationship with somebody on board a ship, and I mean, and it's this has been happening for since how long is is have girls and lads been mixed on ships? Twenty odd years now, more mm-hmm. than that, probably twenty five years. Mm-hmm. And in all the time that I've seen it, and having never been in a relationship with a girl on board a ship before, and all of the time that I've seen it, it seems as if the relationship is everybody's business all of the time. So because we're not really like the sort of people that want everybody well I'd say, we both certainly didn't want people to be talking about us all the time yeah we started a relationship but almost kept it secret that was compounded or exacerbated by the fact that I was a chief and Kerry was a lead land and it's it can be seen as being not right so to stop anything like that happening and people haven't seen those things then we just kept it a secret, basically. And yeah. I mean, me and Kerry were living with each other. We'd be living with each other for six months before anybody else, apart from yourself and 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 one of my friends, knew that we had a relationship. Yeah, and we'd been living together for six months. We'd been seeing each other a year by the time that happened. Yeah, but do do you think you know the extra stress of having to, as you say, keep it a secret? Did that have any? Um, you know, does that put any extra stress or strain on your relationship, make it more difficult than it already was? Um, probably, in a way, it did. But then, in a, for me, this is in a way that it was difficult because it, it sometimes you would want to be just be open and honest about things. It almost felt as if you were lying to people by not telling them. But in other ways, I liked it because it meant that the people would not 
talk to you about it and stuff like that. So you could have, it was as if we were having a relationship and we weren't on board the ship and that relationship was for our private lives. Yeah. And that's what it felt like to me. I don't know if Kerry. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it, I think it kept the formal split there because at work, we were very much at work. I, I mean, I could go, if we were at sea, we could go days without even saying hello to each other, really. If our yeah. schedules didn't meet, if he, if I was watchkeeping or if I was watchkeeping, <laughs> like I watchkept <laughs> on that ship. Um, but no, we could quite easily go days without even really bumping into each other. Mm, so it yeah. did keep that clear divide there. But it then meant we made a bit more effort than we probably would have if it was open. So mm. any time there were stops and things, we could plan in properly seeing each other and yeah. and uh, and staying out and things like that. So yeah. um, I mean, I, I did have one person on board that knew about it, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, just the one. And um, yeah. without her then, I think a lot of times she went and hid herself in a hotel on her own and people thought we were together where if we weren't it was obviously me going out to meet meet julie and she she did become the third wheel of our relationship for a while mm. but yeah. without that it wouldn't have been quite as easy as it was type of yeah. thing but but yeah no i just think it gave a clear split we knew when work started and our personal lives started type of thing yeah yeah, and I think it's probably important to have that, isn't it? Being in, you know, in the military. I mean, Jules, as you say, you were the chief, and some people can view that in a in a kind of light that you, that's not correct for what your relationship was. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it didn't. It, it. I didn't want our relationship to define our our relationship in public to define our relationship in private. So mm. you know, we kept in, and so that sort of what's the word it kept integrity and it also kept it stopped it, it them blurred lines that can't happen yeah know? but no it, as it as it happens we're albeit it as far as it goes as that we didn't actually break any rules because this look the, you know, they've got a thing called the code of social conduct now which is basically in, in layman's terms as the no touching rule and stuff mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. but if you were to read that code of social conduct, which of course during the time I did a lot to make sure I wasn't <laughs> doing anything wrong, and um, and Kerry wasn't in my direct reporting, or I wasn't in Kerry's direct reporting chain. We weren't even in the same branch, and the, there was only sort of one occasion where our jobs would cross over, and that was when she was like, you know, when we we're in harbour, sort of leading hand in the ship's control centre, and I was. And I was off to the day. It was the only time we ever actually had to interact as part of our job. Yeah. And, and, and in that instance, all that I was doing was off to the day was checking to make sure Kerry had signed things. Yeah. You know? So it was. And, and it to be really... fair, from a work perspective, you absolutely hate me. Yes, I did because there's another <laughs> thing. So, so because Kerry was at the antithesis of everything that I stood for in the Royal Navy, right? So I was all about training. I was all about. You know, and, and the job that I did, so for pe listeners who are listening who are, you know, from, who have been in recently, the, the job of whole ship secure is what a chop zest does. So, and, okay, we did some tow to rear patrol stuff, but we can't really go into that on here. But the whole ship queue is basically organising fire exercises for stalkers. That's pretty much what you do. And then assess those fire exercises and then write up reports on those fire exercises. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did as a job. And I used to look for people in Kerry's sort of rank, leading hands and petty officers, to be keen and up for it and always want to be involved and, and have aspirations to 
better, improving better themselves through the medium of coaching and mentoring and active reflection and <laughs> mid-period appraisal reports. And I lived and breathed that stuff. Bear in mind, before I'd gone on there, I had been a leadership instructor. I had been at FOST, where I really did buy into the whole thing and thought that I was making a difference. I mean, it sounds stupid now to look back. But at the time when you're in those roles, you re and you really do feel as if you are helping. Then I met Kerry, who was four empires are a waste of time. You should only get one if you're doing rubbish. An empire being a mid-period appraisal report. Yeah. Um, she thought that she thought that debriefs when you ask people how they were feeling when that happened and and what they could do better in the future. Well, as far as Kerry was concerned, she was awesome. And the best, <laughs> the best leading writer that there'd ever been. So how could she possibly? How could she possibly find something that she would do differently in future? Because she, she's awesome and she's done it the best anyway. So for that, for things like that, I used to just wind me up. You know, it, I do like, it's like circuit training. So you know, people who've been in recently will know what that is, where you just go around set stances, delivering training. Guaranteed, when the Wren's mess rocked up. Kerry Wallace of the time wouldn't be in that wouldn't be in that group because she'd have far more important things to do than tra than training and le and learning how to improve. Because how could anybody who was the best ever leading writer improve in any shape or form? So the stuff like that would be like, oh, you know, that was the frustrating thing with her. She was a nightmare. Do you have anything in response to that, Kerry? <laughs> I can't really say a lot because it's pretty factually correct. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh, some of it just, I understand the need for training. I understand the requirement for it, but some of it just seems a little bit pointless to me. <laughs> so I just, I just don't see it. And also, I mean, I'm, there was barely any SEC qualified leading lands. So there's no way I'm never going to be in the SEC. That is my place. No one's going to take it for me. There were times that I had to cancel leave to stay in there because there was no one qualified to do it. Mm. So I'm doing that. If I'm not being funny. If I am down dealing with a flood, something has gone really, really wrong. Mm. That means no one's the in the SEC. going down. Yeah. Let's just get off. Why am I not in a lifeboat? Why am I trying to shore up some sort of flood? Silly. There you go, Jules. So I don't think you're ever going <laughs> to win a round on that one. <laughs> no. No, it still it still rankles us now. <laughs> still, still angers you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our marital fights are um, all about the past, and <laughs> you didn't listen in that brief. And rah, rah, rah. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. We are very, very different when it comes to work people. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So going back to you know you read the code of social conduct, Jules. You got you guys have been together a year before kind of anyone knew about it. How did you come out in your relationship on board? Then what was the process that you kind of took? <laughs> come out um, for one of a better know. phrase. <laughs> yeah, one of a better expression. It was almost so we the ship was doing some north toward rear patrol operations, which is a. In, listeners who know that well if you know you know that's all i really say about that and anyway quite more often or not that you, you would have operational stand downs in um faz lane so you'd have a run ashore in helmsborough so the ship will have been at sea for about a month and we'll go alongside in helmsborough so you know everybody apart from the duty watch is going to go out as soon as the pipe leaves so we got it. So we do, you know, we're arranged that we would, would only sort of meet up in our social times on like runs of show and stuff like that. And we've got to the point where it's, we're in Helensborough. 
it's the summertime. It's the whole, we've all been at sea working. We've still got, you know, all of our friends on the ship. It's, it's, it was just one of those moments where like, we need to go ashore and, you know, see each other and go for a few drinks. And it was like, but we're having to run round avoiding all of the pubs because you'd walk in the door and there'd be 30 people off the ship there or there'd be 40 people off the ship there. And we just got to that moment and went, this is ridiculous. We'll, we'll, we'll live in a house together. And, and so we just thought, we'll just front it out and we just walked into the most busiest pub with all of the people off the ship in and just sat down and started drinking with everyone else. And it, there wasn't a kind of, you know, <laughs> a big sort of, da-da, we're in a relationship moment. Everyone was just like, oh, they're now in a, they're in a relationship. Yeah. And of course, then after that happened, then everybody would then come and say, I knew you were seeing her. I knew you were going out with each other. And we're like, all right, okay then. You know, everybody was the, the, the world's best expert on our relationship. And oh, I knew you've been seeing her for two months now, haven't you? Mm, yeah, but we'll go over two months, yeah. And it was just a It did of... make it easier. It stopped the gossip as well, though, if you think about it. Because when they were like, oh, we know about you and you and uh, Tansy, I'd be like that. Yeah, I live with them. Ends the conversation straight away. Yeah. Yeah. So we just went on the sort of, at that point, we'll then move forward with the, if don't ask, don't tell. So if nobody asks us, we don't tell them. If they say, if they do ask us, we'll say, yeah, we are. And that's it. And then they just go, they are. You know, sometimes mat laws are worse than a knitting circle for gossip. (laughs) Well, that's all you've got when you're at sea, isn't it? I mean, totally. the gossip mill is what keeps you going. Yeah, you've got nothing else to talk about. No, definitely not. So let's um, let's fast forward a little bit from there then. So the, you know, the, the ground reveal on the Somerset and everyone kind of knows now. So you moved to Evesham, where Kerry's from. You get married three years ago, not two. And <laughs> yeah. a few weeks after you get married, Julian, you're then off on draft to Virginia. I mean, what was what was that like? Okay, then, so, yeah, um, it, it goes, the story goes back a little bit to before we got married. So in the January, I was on the Warren Officer Signal, uh, which was a week after we moved into the house in Evesham. Mm. So I moved in the house in Evesham, and I already had my next assignment, which was going to be to uh, work at Western Regional Command in Bristol. So I was going to go there for three years, Bristol being an hour away from where we live there in Evesham so it was going to be get married have three years in Bristol everything's going to be great and then a week after we moved into that house I was then on the promotion signal and half hour after that promotion signal I was telephoned up by the appointer and told that the reason I'd been promoted was because I was going to go to America <laughs> and I was I was going to go in the, at the end of the year so I had to ask them to move it right a couple of months so that I'd actually get married yeah um, I was really happy then... with this whole situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so then, yeah, so then we got married in the November and then on the 9th of December, I flew to America for a two-year draft. Mm. How, how, was that for you, how was that for you, Kerry? Well, I do like my own space, so it wasn't all bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, to be fair, I'm obviously frustrated, Um that was the year that I was very close to putting my notice in anyway. And it was just adding more nails into my coffin of leaving the military. Hmm. Um, obviously, it was a brilliant opportunity for Julian. Um, and he'd have been stupid to not go and to turn his promotion down. But at the same time, 
two weeks after you get married. I mean, we still haven't been on honeymoon three years in mm. um, yeah. due to military commitments that we haven't managed to, well, military commitments, then COVID, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I was obviously just a bit frustrated with the situation, but it was a really good opportunity, which he'd have been stupid to turn down and not take. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So. I gained a lot of almost sort of CV filling sort of opportunities. I worked mm. with... Uh, you know, American Navy, American Coast Guard. I worked, I did a lot of work with the UK Embassy in Washington. So those sort of things all look good on a CV. And um, whilst I was there, randomly, I also flew back to the UK on one occasion to do me admiral interview board and I passed that. And I got, I passed that. And then a month after I passed me admiral interview board, I then decided that I would leave. <laughs> Yeah. And what was it like for you, Kerry, while Julian was away, quite clearly living the high life in Virginia, <laughs> on Virginia Beach? I'd say the biggest problem is the time zones, because um, mm. it was five hours different. So um, by the time I was getting up in the morning, it, there was no chance of giving him a call. By the time he's getting up in the morning, I'm midway through my working day, so we can't speak. Um, <laughs> he'd be phoning me and I'd be out with mates a little bit tipsy and he's only just finishing work type mm. of thing so the time zone was probably hardest just to guarantee the conversations mm. um, and then I'd be going to bed at 10 o'clock at night because I've got a busy day in the morning and we'd be on the phone and he'd have loads to say because it's four o'clock there yeah um, it used to be I'd say that's the hardest part of it um, you get used to it being in the military you know what it's like you whatever your situation you just adapt to and you there's no point moaning about it or getting upset about it because it's not going to get you anywhere, is it? Um, so no, not ideal, but like I said, brilliant opportunity for him. It gave me an opportunity to really focus on myself for when I chose to leave the yeah. military as well. So it gave us both a bit of opportunity to be a little bit selfish and mm. think about ourselves, I'd say. And then when you came to that decision to leave the military, then that wasn't, that was around the time that Julian was in America. Yeah. How did you sort of come to that decision? You said that him going was one of the final nails in the coffin. I mean, what tipped you to decide that this wasn't for you anymore? So there were a few things. I, I was looking at going officer um, and had my AIB booked. Then on the Friday before my AIB, they changed the rules to that. That basically said that I'd have to do the 30 weeks training instead of the fast track one. Um, mm -hmm. There was no way I was putting myself through that. So um, that then option came off the table. Just got selected for... Um, PO and they'd put my qualifying course actually it was my senior eights leadership course I think that would finish yeah. on the Friday before my wedding day mm. um, and then couldn't understand why I asked them to move it and got quite stroppy so I just went you know what I'm done um, and clicked all the boxes and phoned Julian and went so <laughs> so I'm leaving the navy was it was it a scary feeling do you think I'd say scary, but relief at the same time. I, I was working in that direction anyway. Um, don't get me wrong, absolutely love the Navy, and I wouldn't be where I am now without doing the stuff in the Navy. But I was, I was more angry continuously against the Navy, um, and that's not how I wanted to come out. I wanted to remember the good things and what I'd learned and the people I'd met, but I was starting to get towards the hating my job part, which I never, ever wanted. Mm. So, yeah, it was scary doing the actual clicks of the box, but when I felt relief once it was finally signed off I knew I'd made the right decision from there and what did you you know what did you think you were going to do what was your kind of game plan for civvy life 
I had absolutely <laughs> no idea. Um, my mother was not happy with me at all. She thought it was the most stupid decision I'd ever made because I was losing all my security. Um, I knew I had a lot to give. I just didn't know what. You, I mean, 16 years in the military, I don't know what civvies do. I've been a civvy two years. I still don't know what, what civvies do and different jobs that are out there. Hmm. Um, and I just thought I'm going to fully focus on doing it properly. I'm not going to rely on the military to get me a job. I'm not going to rely on other people and feel I'm entitled to it I'm just going to start looking um, and I was looking weekly at jobs and randomly applying for jobs left right in Chelsea um, and just taking away the preconceptions that the military say the areas you should be going into I mm. kind of went slightly left to that um, it did help because you had your notice in at a similar time to me mm. um, and we were pushing each other's experiences off on each other I went to the Barclays um, day with you yeah. which was really really good and completely changed my mindset um I've got that a lot to thank that day for to be fair on changing my perspective and changing what I felt about myself and mm. knowing that I had a lot more to give than you're probably led to believe for a very long time yeah I think I definitely agree it um it kind of made you realize what you have to offer to an employer going to that um, we went to a Barclays Women's Insight Day, um, you, me and another friend of ours. And it was just great to hear some of the stories of the women that had left the military and the things that they'd done in in financial services. And, it, you know, you don't have to be a banker to work in a bank. And I kind of think neither of us really knew that. Um, no, we thought that we needed to know how how a bank works and the ins and outs and intricacy of, you know, the trading floor that you don't. No, so, you really don't. So after that that day, and you kind of had a better idea of what you wanted to do, you said you applied for jobs left, right in Chelsea. I mean, what was your first job interview like? What 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 was that? Terrifying is probably the answer. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. So you you don't know what you're doing. I mean, um, I've got myself to blame a bit because I didn't do any of the military offered training towards the end because mm. I'd had a bit of a bad experience at my first resettlement meeting when I was told I was aiming too high um, and maybe needed to look for a lower level job with lower money um, so from that point I stepped completely away from military resettlement and did it all myself. Well I um, think as I was just going to say as we've learned from uh, this podcast Julian says that Kerry is the best so and anybody that says otherwise is wrong. Sorry someone's yeah. at my door just two seconds I'm yeah, just going to pause. pause. Play start again sorry team yeah so um the jobs I was applying for were things that I was looking at job description and trying to break it down um into transferable military skills I was fed up of hearing that when I first put my notice in you've got transferable mm, skills same. you don't believe it but it's so true when you actually take a step back and, uh, and look at it so every job I applied for I got an interview bar one but I did apply for a just under £200,000 job that I had no experience and I thought <laughs> I'd given a shot. Aim high. <laughs> that one was far too high aiming. Um, that was the only one I never heard back from. Um, my first was working for a company reasonably local to us and it sounded amazing. Um, and I was interviewed by an ex-army officer and it was the most terrifying experience of my life. And um, to be fair to him, he phoned me back afterwards and gave me some tips of going forwards. Yeah, and it was mainly around self-confidence and mm. believing yourself a bit more. So you're saying the right things, but you're questioning yourself. So just have a bit of courage in your conviction. Um, so obviously didn't get that job, but learned a lot from it. And I think it was one of the key experiences for me. Um, and then I think I did two other face-to-face -face interviews. Uh, one was in London, which was going to be a traveling one. Um, which was a really, really good job, but it would have been fast paced and 
probably looking back now not ideal and then the other one was the job I am currently working in which Mm. is uh, for a telecommunications company and it's pretty awesome yeah I mean you mate you've absolutely smashed it you know you're you're a manager as you say for a telecommunications company I know that you're super super busy hence why this is the only way that I can actually talk to you nowadays (laughs) (laughs) it's just sign you up for things (laughs) so yeah you're you've done so amazing I mean is there anything you do differently looking back now at your kind of resettlement period um do you know what looking back no because I think I've got really lucky I know a lot of people struggle with the whole transition Mm. for some reason it just clicked um and it worked really well I got the job on military skills alone um I was the probably the most underqualified person going for the job but I had the bigger picture skills that you can't train without years of training mm. um so they hired me for the management and the leadership and team building and that side of and just getting on which is quite hard to find I think um I had no idea what an IP address was when I started the job I now can really bore you about it um <laughs> <laughs> but it really just clicked um I've got no regrets with the job uh you actually have to really work for a living now and (laughs) like Friday afternoons at work still not overly happy two years in with that whole situation but I I think it's just worked well for me I'm lucky to a certain degree but it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of self motivation to get yourself to to this point I think Mm. but yeah I wouldn't say I've got any regrets um I think it's it's just nice because you get reward where rewards due. I think you actually feel genuinely appreciated within your job. And I would never, if you'd have asked me five years ago if I'd have been doing this job, living the life I am now, I'd have laughed at you and not thought it was possible. Yeah. And why wouldn't you think it was possible? Because I was just a killick writer who did what she was told when she was told to and got put back in a box if she tried to change any sort of style of what was happening yeah but you're obviously the best kiddie writer <laughs> obviously I was the best kiddie writer I'm gonna get so much abuse when this goes out from anyone who's a writer <laughs> but no it's just I think I needed the opportunity to go out and go rogue almost and mm. that attitude has helped me on Sydney Street it probably hindered me in the military a little bit <laughs> no and how did Funnily you feel enough. yeah how did you feel about Kerry leaving Jules um, I knew it was something that she'd wanted to do it on, well, on a number of occasions since I'd known her, both before we were seeing each other and afterwards. Um, I mean, I think you carried because she didn't, because she didn't get a stand easy one day, put a notice in before that on it. <laughs> that, that is out of order. That is just well, rude. It was, some, it was something impetuous like that, wasn't it? You, you, <laughs> you, you put your notice in for some random reason earlier on and it came back out again within two weeks, wasn't it? It was one of those sort of moments, which anybody who's listening who's been in the Navy will totally understand that that happens quite a lot. Mm. But I knew it was always something that she was thinking of, uh, and especially with the way the way things were about our course and how things happened just after we got married when she went to uh, Yorvalton. I think that was the decision maker for her. So I fully supported her in anything that she did. Uh, and at the time, I mean, literally within a matter of weeks from that, she was going for interviews. Mm. And by the, and what, what was that about the May time you should put a notice in? And by the August, she'd been offered a job yeah. to start in the December. So I just seen it as, you know, I was confident in that and in her abilities to do things. 
uh, and then she went and got the job really quickly. So I was, I was pleased. And then ultimately, that was then not the. Was it yeah, the well, reason? she copied me. I don't know if it was actually <laughs> not the reason. She copied me. I don't think Got it jealous. was the reason. Aisha says this. I know it's bless her. But it's not the reason, but it was certainly the catalyst. Yeah. So my options were, like I said, I'd passed my Admiral interview board. I was then um, told that, oh, well done. That's amazing. Oh, by the way, you might have to wait two years before you get extracted. And I was like, what? Why? You never said that when I was going through. They said, "Oh yeah, there's we're we're, we're not we're not really going to take the, those numbers on into the branch that I was going to go into." I was like, "Oh right," and I thought I could be waiting two years round just to go to Dartmouth. So two years waiting to go to Dartmouth plus a year's training, which is what I was going to have to do for the branch that I was joining, and it was going to I would be three years in. So I would have only have just finished now. Looking back, yeah, and um, oh sorry, I would have only just been starting that process now looking back from where I was yeah and I thought do you know what do when I'm all said and done is it what I really want to do stay in because I would have been probably probably kept in until I was at least 55 then Mm -hmm. maybe's offered until I was 60 and I thought is it really what I want to do quick answer quick answer no I want to do something else with my life and because Kerry being so successful I thought well, she could do it, so I must be able to do it. So that's why, <laughs> that's why I put me notice in. And then, what was that process like for you leaving, Julian? Was that a relief putting your notice in, or were you nervous? What was your game okay, plan? A, a mixture of both. A mixture yeah. of both. I was, I was excited, nervous. Um, it, compounded by the fact that I was in America, so you know that whole resettlement process. I thought, or I perceived at the time, was going to be more difficult. I thought I was going to have to get back to the UK as soon as possible in order to follow that sort of clearly defined pathway that people do when they leave the military. Mm. But um, as it turned out, you know, and, and been proven more so this year with virtual ways, mm. the fact that I was based in America didn't impact on my ability to apply for jobs didn't apply for my ability to do job interviews you know because there was already doing telephone and video interviews at that moment in time so I um so then I started off on that journey I put my notice in on the 1st of April and my first job interview and job offer are we allowed to say company names yeah I think so I say Barclays yeah yeah okay then yeah so my first my first uh, job interview and offer was with Amazon. They offered us a job. I, I, I interviewed for the job of a regional manager at Amazon. I got offered a job. I was unsuccessful at that, but they offered us a job as a warehouse manager, um, which excited us, gave us confidence for the future. I came home to, to the UK on leave anyway, around about the same time as I got that job offer. Explained the situation to Kerry and based on... I'm glad we did now, but based on advice, it was like, well, you're going to leave the Navy and then do shift work, so that might not be the way forward. So I decided to continue applying for jobs. Uh, I applied for... Uh, I went on the a number of insight days. I went on the same insight day as you both did. Well, not the women in Barclays, obviously, but the Barclays after programme. Um, I applied for that on completion. I got offered interview with that. I then applied for, I went on a Barrett Homes <laughs> Insight Day as a assistant site man, training assistant site manager. I applied for that. 
online exam, interview, telephone. Then I had a face-to-face -face interview with Barrett Holmes. Got about three days later, I got offered a contract with them. I then went to the NH an NHS inside day. And if there's people in that sort of military transition period now, I'd strongly advise that. But again, it's like the after programme at Barclays. You think that you can only work for the NHS if you're a doctor or a nurse. Well, that's totally wrong. Majority of staff working for the NHS are in administration and stuff that a lot of in logistics and stuff that a lot of military personnel would have done. I got offered an uh, interview with a job with them. Uh, and then I uh, also applied to, you know, the there's a company called FDM, who ultimately I'm now employed with, who do a military transition scheme. Uh, I interviewed twice with them, did an assessment day, and then eventually got offered a role with them starting in February of this year, which that, who a company that give you training and then um, place you with other companies. And the majority of those companies are, either government organisations or companies within the FTSE 500 in London. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to go get through the training process with FDM in London. Mm. And then and then uh, I was found a placement with uh, a company called Revenue and Customs Digital Technology Service, which is a bit of a mouthful, I know. But basically, they provide... I sound so much like a civvy now. They provide <laughs> digital, so, digital solutions to HMRC, which in normal speak means they create websites and apps for HMRC and various other government organizations so and I'm, in, I'm with them in the role of a people capability manager which is sounds very HRE but it's more to do with operational delivery so the job I do is everything from performance management to learning and development programs and training delivery and design and stuff like that and all the way down to um, sort of manpower rotations and stuff. So it's similar to being like a DEPCO in the name. Yeah, I was going to say, it yeah. sounds like you're yeah. just a, a DEPCO yeah, with a lots of extra a, responsibilities. With a better job like... title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds better, doesn't it? Yeah. But yeah, and which is, and that pathway is, I would recommend that pathway. And I'm not just saying that because I'm with FDM. For people who have been in the Navy full time for the 22 years or whatever extensions that they've taken, I would recommend it because it's almost like a course that teaches you all of the stuff that you've been doing is used in the civilian world. And here are the civvy words for it. Mm. So I've got a qualification in project management and um, as a scrum master, a scrum master is basically the team leader of an IT team. Uh, qualified in that and then because of that that gave me the kudos to get the job as a people capability manager within an IT company basically and they also offer a route into uh, financial institutions as project managers scrum masters or uh, business analysts uh, how are you, you sure you're not on commission for like plugging this company <laughs> because how I don't know. I just how would you describe a business analyst? Yeah, so somebody who they can go on Google to work that out. Yeah, they can. They can. <laughs> it's like it's like, but for for military people, it's like the it's like the tactical estimate, but just with a business focus. That's wow, the best way to that's one way it. of describing yeah. it. Yeah. So you yeah, have yeah. had a you know you had a few choices there, Jules. So you're obviously happy with the one that you've. I was fortunate. I literally had. Offers of employment contracts with four companies all at the same time. And I just mm. had to pick which one suited me best. 
yeah. yeah so I was quite lucky yeah that's amazing do you think mm. where do you think where you live makes that easier I mean you're far away from any kind of large military establishment so mm. do you think having that different location has made uh, it easier I, or harder I definitely I definitely think it being away from it if you want to it all depends on what you want to do if you if your roots are in Plymouth or Portsmouth or Faslane then it's understandable that that's where your family are that's where your roots are so you're going to seek employment in that location but what I've learned more certainly in the time that I've left is and especially now because of COVID and, and remote, remote working, that you could be based, maintain those routes in those places and, and now re- work remotely and only visit a site further away once or twice a week. Mm. I think that's what that, you know, this, this word, the new normal, this expression is, that's what it's going to look like. But when I left, you know, last year, it was certainly all about if you want to achieve, if you decide... You have to decide. It's almost like your draft and preference form. You have to decide whether the ship is more important or the base location is more important. Mm. So if the job in the civil world is more important and you're prepared to commute and or travel stop over the week, that's what you've got to focus on. Mm. If the if staying in Plymouth or Portsmouth or Faslane is the most important thing, then you've got to manage your expectations accordingly to the type of job that you're going to do based on the fact that they're very military centric jobs in those towns you know you're either doing a support job for babcock or ba systems or you're or you're going to you know follow the route into babcock in the dockyard and that just wasn't for me i thought if i'm going to leave then i'm going to leave now so you've both got you're both civvies now you both got awesome jobs and you now work remotely at home for probably the best part of a year since we've been in COVID and the various lockdowns. How's that been for you, given that you'd spent a relationship on, you know, some of your relationship on board, but not speaking to each other really on board. So, you know, only seeing each other when you went alongside, which was rare because you were TAPS and FRE. Did you all spend two years in America to now coming back, both civvies, both working from home full time? What's that been like? (laughs) Uh, so we obviously <laughs> came back from America. I'm jumping in first before you can say anything, Jules. Um, so yeah, he came back, but then he was kind of like as good as unemployed for a couple of months. So it was having a bum at home on the sofa. And this is just before lockdown started. So I'm going out to work um, and I've come back and he's finished cleaning the house from top to bottom, done a couple of LinkedIn learning courses and just desperate for interaction. Whereas I'd been interacting all day with people and I just wanted to come over and do nothing. So that was a difficult one, I'd say, to navigate. And then coronavirus comes along and you're locked in your house, away from everyone, friends, family. And then I realised how loud you breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To be fair, we had first lockdown. I did really enjoy it. Mm. It's hard not seeing friends, family, working. You've got a real blurred line with your work because you're in the house. You move from your computer to your sofa. There's no break from it. You can overhear each other's conversations. You already know how their working day is going because you can hear how the working day is going. Um, so from that perspective, I think working and living with someone in the same house is really hard. Um, and I know I'm not alone in saying that, mm. but it was nice weather. So you'd go outside in the garden at six o'clock in the evening, have a couple of drinks, chat rubbish um have some entertaining weekends via zoom calls and things with friends and family and you sort of just 
plodded on um mm. I don't really count lockdown two as a lockdown to be fair and then this lockdown I think has been really hard with weather and not getting outside and just being a bit miss so don't get me wrong I think if through our relationship in the deep end we've learned every level of living working and being married together in in a very very short period of time mm. um but I'm not going to pretend to the world it's easy because <laughs> is, this, is, this, is this a podcast for release the marriage gaining it's, I'm not gonna, it sounds like it sounds really terrible that's a bad picture yeah lockdown lockdown one was really good I think it's it's amazing to have sort of like we do have you know this dreamy sort of work-life balance thing now because we literally get up get washed and ready on most days and, <laughs> uh, and start work but and and you can't you turn off your computer and just there you are you're in your living room again. But that in a way has made it harder because you don't have the delineation between work and home. Mm. So whereas people or we would have commuted and and don't get us wrong, we both have been into the office during these periods, but we haven't had that all the time. And so you don't have that unwind commute. So literally, you don't bring home bring work home with you it's already at home i mean if i just glance to my i know we're not on video now but if i glance to my right underneath the television is my is my work terminal mm. you know so it's I, I, it's it has has it made our relationship stronger yes probably it has mm. did going to america make it less strong no probably it didn't because our time on on facetime and calls and the separation probably made us stronger. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but it's, I can understand how some couples will have, will have struggled with the, the, the different transitions between never seeing each other to seeing each other all the time. And I mm. understand that that happens a lot with people when they leave the Navy, you know, especially if you've been on ships a lot, then, then all of a sudden you're at home, see, being with your wife morning, you know, every evening, every weekend, some relationships struggle with that. And I, mm. and I know people that where, where things haven't gone very well for them after they left. But I think with us, it's almost like a little bit of like inbuilt, inbuilt resilience and possibly helped by the fact that we were both on a ship together where we had a lot worse things happen based on the nature of the, of the operations that we were doing. In a, not in a, in a getting shot at way, but long times at sea with no no management of expectations or not knowing what was going to happen next mm. because of the nature of the work we were doing has built that sort of core resilience in us. And now the separation in America continued that. And now, you know, lockdown, we've almost, we've had fun. I know our families won't like us here and say this, but we have seemed to have had fun during lockdown when everybody around us or, or people that you see or work with are talking about, you know, mental health problems is always a question. There's always a discussion. Whereas I don't think we've really had that. Uh, no, I, don't. I think we made a yeah. we made a conscious effort to try and make it fun as well. And we do like the odd drink here and there. So we have our uh, Friday night drinking sessions, which are not the most sensible grown up ones. But yeah. any stupid little trends that are coming out on TikTok or whatever, I guarantee if I've had a drink, we are trying it, whether he wants to <laughs> or not type of thing. We, we now are the proud owners of a bar in our garden. Um, <laughs> Yes. Jenna likes it. Jenna likes a good TikTok video as well. 
Oh, she loves a TikTok, does that, Gemma? I do. I do like it too. Only the easy ones, though. Only the easy ones. <laughs> not, the, not the complicated dance move ones, just the ones that have got two or three things that we could do. I miss making TikToks with you, team. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we've only got a couple of minutes left, so I just want to really quickly ask, top of your head, um, you know, what is something that you really, really miss about being in the Navy? The mess square. The mess square. Julian? Friday afternoons off. Friday, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have to agree with that. I mean, working Friday afternoons, it's just normal now, but if somebody said, you know, your new working contract, you could have every Friday afternoon off, it would just be a dream, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'd, I'd take yeah. a wake up. <laughs> It'd just be a dream. <laughs> That's one thing I definitely miss. Well, team, I want to say thank you so, so, so much for coming on and getting on with me for however long this has been. I mean, it feels like only five minutes it's gone by in the blink of an eye. And it's been so lovely to see your faces and to talk about some old times. And I've also learned a few things about uh, each of you. I never realised what an excellent kiddick writer you were at the time, Kerry. So <laughs> I'm glad that I'm I do now. No. Thanks, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, take care, team, and I hope to see you soon, as soon as all this mess is over. Okay. Happy days. Thanks, mate. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.